All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Joy Church. Wave at me a little bit. Everybody awake? Cool. Hey, I'm, I don't want to brag, um, but I'm going to. So this week, I was a single parent. And I know some of you are single parents, and you're like, shut up. But listen, it's about what you can handle, right? I mean, what, you, what you're prepared for. My wife, Bethany, went to Columbia this week, so she was on a missions trip, and she's coming back tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus. But from Wednesday night uh, all the way up through tomorrow night, I'm, I'm uh, soloing it, and uh, I've been working with my kids, and uh, I love my kids. But I've been, you know, having this time to just spend with them, and they're so great. They're awesome. But I've been having this time spending with them, and it's making me assess, you know, kind of the way we measure parenting. How many of you are parents, or you've been parents, you have kids, your kids have survived into adulthood? That's success, Right. I was actually talking to some people out in the hallway. It was reminding me just about how crazy it is that now in 2018, we measure parenting like, are my kids thriving? Are they thriving spiritually, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, and physically? Right? Are they happy? Do they, are they socializing well? Like if you, but if you, I'm just trying to go back to the Middle Ages. I mean, I want you to think about a mom in like London, 1250 AD or so. She's like, well, eight of my 11 kids died of the Black Plague, and I, three made it, so I'm doing pretty good. How many of you, you know what I mean? So I'm like, Bethany, two of the two kids died, but one's still alive. 330 is a pretty good batting average. All right. I do have a bit of a morbid sense of humor. We're going to talk about some good, happy things today. But no, we're having a great time with the kids. I went to Papa's Pizza. How many of you, as a parent, know Papa's Pizza is gold? Because you can go get the buffet, right? Sit there at the buffet, get the kids some pizza. They don't care about the pizza, though. They just go and they play. So I sat there for about two and a half hours on uh, Friday and just got my iPad out, did some work. They played. I had ate way too much pizza. I'm like, babe, the kids and, and I gained 10 pounds while you were gone, but they're alive, right? And nobody, nobody died, so it was good. Well, I'm excited for us to start a brand new series today called Irresistible. You saw a little bit about it there on the video. And I believe this series is going to be for our church a watershed moment, a moment that really transforms and changes us as a group and, and is uh, just setting us up for what God wants us to do and to be as a church. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the mission statement of our church. If you've gone to Next Track, and I encourage everybody to do that, you get a heavy dose of this. But our mission as a church comes right out of the scripture, and it's very simple, that we are here as a church to love God, to love people, and make disciples. And we get that from the words of Jesus where somebody said, what are the greatest commands? And he talked about loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself. That's where the love God, love people comes from. And then in, in the, at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he ascended into heaven, he gave what is called the Great Commission. He told his disciples, hey, this is what you are supposed to do on this side of eternity Right? You're supposed to, to go into all the world and make disciples. Now, I know these are kind of religious terms, but we're going to talk about this, that we as a church are called in this city not just to show up on Sunday and eat some donuts and drink some coffee and have a nice time and even let the Lord bless us in worship and, and all those kind of things are great. It's a part of who we are, but it's not the whole story. Our mission, what we, are, what we were formed and God brought us into existence to accomplish is to be a transforming influence of the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ here in this community. Come on, can I get an amen? It's what, it's what Christian people say in church when you're just waiting for the next thing. If, you're not a, if you didn't grow up in church, then you're like, what's that amen thing? That's what it is. You just throw it in there. It's a fill word. It means so be it. Amen. So we are here. We have a mission. We're, we're not just a church that just is here just to have a good time. We do have a good time, but we are on a mission. And our mission is to reach people with the gospel and to make disciples, right? To, 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 to get people to follow Jesus, to invite people into this life. 
And so this series, Irresistible, we're going to talk about this word evangelism. Now, if you've heard the word evangelism before, you might be really freaked out because you're thinking, great, our pastor now is going to ask us to go up to strangers in parks and say, excuse me, can I tell you about Jesus? And how mortifying that is for, for many people, right? How many of you, when you hear the word evangelism, you're like, I'm out. Just be honest, right? I'm out. That's not me. I don't want to talk to people about faith or politics or what sports team they like. I mean, I don't want to get into these topics. I don't want to. That's embarrassing. It's awkward. And let me just tell you, you are not more embarrassed than me about this because I am the most scared. I mean, we could, we could have a, a who's more scared competition or something, but I, I loathe, I abhor going up to people that I don't know and striking up a conversation about the deep things of eternity. So evangelism, when you take it in this way, that sort of scary mindset of walking up to a complete stranger and trying to convert them, that's not what we're talking about. And actually, biblically, do you see that? Has that ever happened? Absolutely. But is that, is that really the heartbeat? Is that the center of the river of evangelism? No, it's something a little bit different. And I'll talk to you about why this series is called Irresistible. See, for many believers, they know, hey, as a, as a follower of Jesus, I'm called to reach out to people and share the love of Christ and and actually talk to people about my faith. I know that's a part of it, but, I, but I'm scared. Or I don't really know what to do. And we get this sort of obligation kind of, a, it's like, I'm afraid of God. If I don't tell other people about Jesus, then, then God's going to be mad at me. Or I didn't really do my part. I'm not rowing the boat like I should be. You know what I'm talking about? We, we kind of feel this obligation and that's not the way that God would even like us to evangelize. You know, God isn't sitting there like, you know, you didn't, you didn't notch your belt this week. You're, you're, you're like four souls behind this year. Get with it, Art. You're like, you're way behind everyone. I just picked Art out. He's, he's just picking on my friend, you know. That's not what God is doing. We're not supposed to share our faith out of this sense of like guilt and obligation and this weird feeling what we're supposed to do is let the goodness of God, the irresistible, amazing, awesome sauce of God, fill our lives and spill out and get on people. One of the things that I love about, I don't love about watching kids, let's be honest. I don't love about watching kids is my kids are always sticky. We, I mean, I don't know how they can make anything sticky. They're eating white bread and it's sticky. Where did the stickiness come from? But you know, they're always sticky. They, and there's always something spilling over. My son, Jack, we're having this kind of ongoing philosophical debate about why I don't want him to drink water. Now, I do realize scientifically he does actually need to drink water from time to time to survive, but I'm sick and tired of cleaning up spilled water. Do you know what I mean? Jack, it doesn't matter how careful I tell him to be or how it just is going to get spilled. And so I'm like, okay, son, fill your cup up. Not as much because I'm going to be cleaning up all that water here shortly. You know what I mean? It's always spilling over with kids. It's coming everywhere, stickiness and, and water and, and mess. And this is how we should be in our relationship with Jesus, that as God, in his glory and his power and his goodness and all the amazing things that he does for us, all this the, the, what comes out of our life as we encounter Jesus and we get to know him and that's supposed to fill us up and spill out. So when you're walking through the city streets and somebody bumps into you, a little bit of the Holy Spirit sort of spills over onto them. Come on. That as you're going in your, in your marriage, you're with your wife and your husband, and instead of kind of like ah, da, 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 back at each other, it's like, man, I love Jesus. How about you? I love Jesus. How about, yes, I do. You know what I mean? 
It's back and forth. It's spilling over because you're so full of the goodness of God. And we are to share our faith, not out of a sense of obligation, but out of a sense of wonder, a sense of gratitude, a sense of love for what God is doing in your life. You see, the number one person that needs to be evangelized is not somebody who doesn't know Jesus. It's the people that already do. That was good right there. I'm just telling you right now. Okay, thank you. I mean, the people on the video are going to be, you know, clapping more for that one. Thank you, Joe Church UO. I'm just assuming that they're really excited about that point. The number one person you need to evangelize is you. Before you preach the gospel to somebody else, get, your, get yourself in the mirror and be like, good morning, self. Looking lovely today. What has God done for you? Don't forget his benefits. How... How were you before you knew Jesus? What is happening in your life? And begin to remind yourself and tell yourself about the wonder and the beauty of God and all that he's done in your life and then go tell somebody else. But you need to get it because it needs to come from this place of, man, I'm so connected and fired up about what God is doing to me. I'm preaching today. I don't even, do I don't even need these notes. Okay. Acts chapter two gives us a picture of the early church, right? After Jesus has gone to heaven, ascended into heaven and the early church, kind of the, this Genesis moment where these followers of Jesus are gathering together, it gives us a picture into their life together in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. We'll throw it up on the screen, I believe. It says in Acts 2, 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is a picture of the early church, and what we see is that daily people were being added. Every single day, somebody was coming to know the risen Savior, to know Jesus and be transformed by the gospel. I want to just throw this out there, that Joy Church is not about Sunday mornings. It's about what we do after Sunday mornings. Come on. People say, oh, I go to church. Don't go to church. Be the church. Go to church on Sunday, be here, worship, get some donuts, get some coffee, get encouraged, high five your fellow believers, bring people, all that kind of stuff. But you know what? The, the, the picture that I want to get into our spirit as a church is that people would begin to be saved every single day. So it wouldn't be like, how many people gave their life to Jesus on Sunday? That would be like icing on the cake, the cherry on top. It would be like, how many people did all these joy, joyful Christians lead to Jesus out in the city, in the community all the time? It says, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's why we're here, you guys. We want to see this kind of a church be, be alive and well, happening here in the city of Eugene, a place where people can come to know God, not where they can come to, to hear religious moralism, not where they can come to get self-help tips about how to live a marginally better life. No, a place for people to encounter the risen Savior that has the power to transform their soul and change them from the inside out. I don't know about you guys, but I love to eat. Anybody else? I mean, I really, I thought about this a lot. I'm like, irresistible. We're talking about this evangelism thing. And I just remembered back when I was young, and this still happens, but my family is Sicilian. My mom's side is Sicilian, and we have this great recipe. It's called, we call it long sauce because it takes all day to make, and you get the, the sausage. Come on, Jesus, the Holy Spirit just came in the room. The Italian sausage, the meatballs. And these aren't, like, these aren't like meatballs you buy from Costco in the freezer and throw them in the sauce. If you do that, stop. That's not a meatball. That's like mystery meat, whatever you're doing there. But anyways, 
These are like hand-formed, you know, they have mint in them, and there's breadcrumbs, and it's all put together. Come on, forget about it, you know what I'm saying? It's so good. Where you at, Debbie? Come on, back me up here. Sicilian power. All right, so the meatballs, put it in the sauce, all the meat simmers and the herbs and spices and everything. It's just incredible. It's absolutely irresistible. You, you walk in the house, and you're like, what happened here? Did heaven invade earth? And it did in that moment. But the best part of it isn't even actually when you get to eat the food at night, because it takes all day, right? So you have to wait all day. It's the, is that you get the early meatball. It's sort of like the precursor meatball. So what my mom does is because she wants to make sure that it's, I don't know what it is, just probably test it out or whatever. She's like, hey, I need everybody to like try the meatballs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure, I guess. So she gets, you know, you get a meatball out, put some sauce on it. Usually take a nice piece of French bread, slather heart attack level of butter on it, put it in there. Get that in there, and, and the meatball with the sauce and the bread and that early meatball, the midday meatball, it's absolutely irresistible. How many of you are getting hungry right now? All the Italian restaurants just boosted their, <laughs> their sales today. And I, I remember just like, it's just, you can't help but be excited. You can't help but be, you're like salivating when, when you smell the sauce because this irresistible thing. And I want to ask you this question. What if the way that I felt about meatballs? What if the way that we felt about our favorite foods, what if that's how we felt about Jesus and people got the same sense from us that we absolutely couldn't wait to get back to church on Sunday, that we absolutely couldn't wait to to get into the word, to encounter God, that we absolutely couldn't wait for prayer, that we absolutely couldn't contain how excited we were about what God was doing in our life. It wouldn't be this sort of, hey, I want to tell you about my Lord and Savior Jesus, I guess. Got any tots? No. It would be something that poured out of us that was, that because it was, it's something that we were excited about. It's an old story about a young salesman who was disappointed about losing a sale and he's learning the craft and he, he was just bummed out. He, he lost this big sale. And as he was talking with his sales manager, he said, well, I guess it just proves you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. The manager said, son, take my advice. Your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. And that's how it is with evangelism. See, we think that it's our job to make people a Christian, to make someone want Jesus or to give them Jesus. It's not. Your job is to make people thirsty. Your job is to get people to begin to ask the questions that lead to them asking Jesus to help them. Do you know what I'm saying? Our job is to make people thirsty spiritually. I want to talk to you for a few moments about how to do that. We're going to be talking about this the whole month, how to be an irresistible Christian, irresistible. I'm going to give you three things today, and then we're going to go eat some meatballs or something good today. Three things, how to be an irresistible Christian. Very simple. Share your life, tell your story, and live your faith. Share your life, tell your story, and live your faith. My dad is a preacher, he's a pastor down in Medford, and he always talks about this, he always says this one phrase, and it sticks with me, it's really a part of me now at this point in my life. He says, people live in quiet desperation. The people that you walk around in the park and the ones that you see at work and the people that you buy coffee from at the coffee stand, we think that everybody's okay or basically got it together, but I want you to think about yourself and how screwed up you are. And then realize that not everybody is happy or fulfilled. 
Not everyone is connected in community. Even the people that maybe seem like it or look like it, honestly, here's the reality. The vast majority of people on this planet are walking around in quiet desperation. If you could hear their heart and soul in that moment, if God could even open your ears for just a time just to hear the heartbreak and the cry that people are in, these people that maybe are smiling as they, they, they check you out at the line, but their husband just left last week. The person that is smiling to you when they serve you a cup of coffee, but they cannot break the chains of sexual addiction. The person that hasn't had a healthy relationship in 30 years. And you see a smile, but here's the thing. There's quiet desperation, and I want you to ask God to just let you hear the sound just once. And ask yourself this question, what do I have to offer people? See, we think that, oh, I don't have anything to offer people. I can't help them. I have my own problems. I, I, I'm working through my own stuff. Yeah, welcome to the human race. But let me tell you what you have to offer people. As a follower of Jesus, you have kindness. You have friendship. And you have Jesus on the inside of you. The scriptures tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. You are loaded. Come on, somebody. As a follower of Jesus, you, you might not feel very powerful or strong. That's all right. You don't need to worry about how powerful or strong you are. You need to worry about who's inside of you. What, are you, what, what is coming out of you? It's the power of God. You're full of the Spirit. And you're full of, you can be kind. You can be a friend. You can share your life. You can open a conversation. You can share your life with people. And here's the thing. You just have to love one person. See, I love this. It says in John 3, 16, and I think we all know this verse, or a lot of us know this verse, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we're like, nice job, right? John 3, 16, that's an easy one to remember. But listen, in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world. But then Jesus later on, he says, what's your job? Your job is to love your neighbor. See, it's God's job to love the world, but it's our job to love our neighbor. In other words, in the moments where mercy or grace or friendship is necessary or where we could offer it, that's what we're supposed to do. Sometimes we worry so much that we can't save everyone or change the world and we feel inadequate to change the world. You don't need to worry about changing the world. You need to worry about changing your world. Just do for one what you would do for all. If you would like to see everybody have a friend that would reach out to them and just be there for them and share the love of God with them, you're like, I'd love to see that happen in the city. Then just do that for the person that you can do that for. Just do for one what you would do for all. Go to coffee with somebody. Take somebody to lunch. My dad always said to me, Jake, don't ever underestimate the power of lunch. I'm like, I, I obviously have not. Yeah. <laughs> don't underestimate the power of lunch. And what he meant was people love when you just take them out to lunch. How many of you, when somebody's like, hey, can I buy you lunch? You're like, Yeah. It's not like asking somebody to, you know, if you're going to do a pyramid scheme or something, I mean, then it's not good. But, but lunch is powerful. Just inviting someone out for a meal. You could spend $8.95. You could spend 8 bucks and take somebody out and change their life just by sharing your life. You could share a project or a hobby. Like I love to share my hobby of fixing my house with my friend John. He comes over and he just loves it. He's laughing the whole time, fixing my stuff. And I stand there and watch. I mean, it's incredible how we share this wonderful thing together. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You can share, share your life with people. Last summer, we, um, uh, in our joy group, 
we, we had a neighborhood barbecue and our drug group was there and raise your hand if you were at the barbecue. Uh, Debbie was there. I think Ed was there. I don't know if Ed's here, but Ed brought shrimp. Praise the Lord. Another glorious thing. So glad I'm a Gentile and I can eat shellfish and shrimp and all this stuff. It's unclean, but oh, it's so good. Um, so we, we made this barbecue and we, my wife and I and our kids, we went around and we put just like these, the, the cheesiest flyers. I mean, they were home printed. It wasn't like anything nice. We took these flyers and we just put them on people's doors and we talked to people that were walking around and we're like, hey, we're doing a meet the neighbor's barbecue over here at our house. And uh, we're kind of like, I don't know if anybody's going to come. We ended up having like 40 or 50 people show up at this barbecue. And you know what I did? I got up and I was like, all right, everybody. Hi, I'm Jake. I'm a pastor. And I want to tell you all about Jesus. No, I didn't do that. That's the worst idea right? I never tell anybody I'm a pastor. If you tell somebody you're a pastor, they immediately start trying to talk in King James English, and and it gets very strange and weird. It's true. (laughs) So I don't tell people. Don't tell anybody. Keep it a secret. So um, we had this barbecue, and people came, and we're just laughing and goofing off and getting to know our neighbors, and nobody gave their life to Jesus. We didn't do an altar call. It wasn't a religious thing. You know what it was? It was about sharing life. Just, and now you know what? People know they know that that family, that young family with three wild kids and a, a super pretty wife and a weird looking dude that married way above his level, uh, they know where we are and they know that there's kindness there and they know there's hospitality there and they know that if there was a problem, they could come and talk. And so we see our neighbors and they're like, hey, and it's good. We opened that door, just starting to share your life. Think about this. It's so powerful. All right, I'm, I'm running out of time, so I want to move fast. Sorry, I talk fast because I'm excited. Are you excited? All right. Timothy Keller, he talks about the three things that need to be in place for someone to come to faith. For someone to, I mean, think about how big of a deal it is for somebody to be outside of Christianity, outside of being a follower of Jesus, and to take that step into that that life. Tim Keller says there's three things that need to happen. Number one, there's the theological level, which is belief in Jesus. So if you think that Jesus is like the same thing as the Easter bunny or Santa Claus, that's pretty tough to become a Christian. There has to be a transformation of belief, the theological level. Number two, there has to be a personal transformation. A personal level has to be there. And this is what this means, that a person has to recognize that they're a sinner and recognize their need for a salvation or at least recognize that they need a savior, right? There's a problem in my life that I can't solve. And we're good in church about talking about these things. Because we talk about the theology of what it means to follow Jesus and why people need Jesus. And we're good about talking about sin and struggles and temptations and problems. But there's a third aspect that's very powerful. And I think it's even, it's at least as powerful as these other two, but it's so neglected. And that third aspect that Tim Keller talks about is the social aspect of someone coming to faith. The social aspect. And this is what this means. A person has to be able to see themselves belonging to a community. Think about this. You're going your own way. You're doing your own thing. You have your own verbiage. You have your own cliques and and people that you hang out with. You have a way of thinking. You are a part of an entirely distinct community. And maybe interlocking in some ways with with Christians, maybe, but, but for a lot of people, not so much. And then people also have very deeply entrenched ideas about what being a Christian means. So they might think, well, it means 
I have to go to church and wear a tie and I can't cuss anymore even though cussing's awesome and you know I can't drink anymore even though I like that and the only thing I like doing is dancing on the weekends and I don't know why I think people that don't know Jesus dance on the weekends. I dance on the weekends too in my underwear at home with my kids. But <laughs> mental image. So people think though, they have these ideas. They, they, they think that being a Christian means, okay, you have to be, you have to be part of the NRA. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? You have, to, you have to be a Republican or you have to be a Democrat or whatever. They think something about it and so they can't see themselves. Does that make sense? But when you share your life, then all of a sudden that changes over. And so now if that theological and personal barrier is not there, and that person can actually see themselves connecting. They can see themselves, yeah, I guess I could go to like that plate, that movie theater on Sunday and eat popcorn during the message. I guess I could go to a joy group and eat good food. They can start seeing themselves be a part of a family, of a community. It opens the door for them to come to faith. So it's so valuable, so powerful. Share your life. Followers of Jesus, share your life. Number two, tell your story. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it talks about how God's people overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, what it's saying is they overcome the devil, they, they beat down the devil because of what Jesus has done in their story about it. This is so powerful. It's an unstoppable strategy. Nobody can argue with your story. Someone can argue with your theology. They can say, well, I don't know about you, you know, what about this or that or I have these barriers of, to, to belief, and you're like, that's fine, that's good, but here's my story, right? No one can say, oh, that didn't happen to you. Well, it did, it's my story. This is my story about what Jesus has done in my life. So I want you to understand that we don't win by our brilliance. We don't win by our mastery of the intricacies of theology. How well can you explain the Athanasian Creed? Nobody cares about that. They, that's not how you win. You don't win with your, this brilliant uh, way that you, you preach the gospel, you win when you tell your story. When you share with people, this is what God did for me and this is what he could do for you. Come on, it's powerful. Stories are powerful. I mean, this is not just me preaching. This is actually scientifically proven. When you tell a story, when you begin to build, uh, paint a picture, just any kind of story, did you know that scientists have actually shown that there's actually this kind of a psychic link that mentally that the brain actually begins to, not only when you tell somebody a story, they actually start seeing themselves in the story. I'm reading my kids The Hobbit because I'm a good dad, right? They need to get good stuff. Come on, somebody. And, and, and you know, it's so cool because Evie is like there. I'm reading about Bilbo Baggins and there the dwarves are coming in and I sang the whole song. Yeah, you got to sing the songs. My wife doesn't like the songs in the book. You got to sing the songs. If you haven't read The Hobbit, Fellowship of the Ring, all that, you know there's songs, right? And I sang the whole song. It's like 20 verses and I sang it like a dwarf would sing it. And that's cool. All right. But I can see the, the light in my kids' eyes, which is unfortunate because they're supposed to be asleep. But you know, I can see the light come on because I'm telling them the story and they're connecting. When you tell your story about what God has done in your life, people begin to see themselves in that story. They, they begin to connect. It's very powerful. Tell your story. I'll say one more thing about the story. You know, in a courtroom, in a situation where somebody maybe is, is, is being accused of a crime or being tried for a crime, we have what's called circumstantial evidence, right? Things that are sort of around uh, evidence that's around, maybe we, the, the, the shoe print is the same as their boot. Maybe their fingerprint was found on something and 
Circumstantial evidence is, is powerful, but you know what is even more powerful is when somebody comes in and is like, nah, I was with Bill. We were down at uh, this place. They give their testimony. And they create an alibi. They say, no, this is where the person was. Testimony has the power to overwhelm a bunch of circumstantial evidence. Now, what does this mean in the concept of evangelism? It means that people have objections to faith, but your story has the power to, to overcome those objections. So share your story. Tell your story. Number three, live your faith. This is huge. What would it look like in our community if the followers of Jesus and all the wonderful churches in our community, if they just began to wear Jesus on their face and in their actions and in their interactions with others? And I don't, I don't mean in a religious way. I don't mean like, okay, hey, I'm doing this nice thing for you because I am a Christian. That's lame. Don't do that. Just live it out. Put it into play. Because again, remember, people are in quiet desperation. So when they begin to see the, the, the authenticity of the gospel, the authenticity of the love of God on display, it will make them thirsty. So live your faith. Serve people. Show mercy. Pray for people. Show faith. Show hope. What would it look like in an overly cynical world if you were like, actually, I think the future is going to be better than, than it is now. You know, I'm just going to rant for one second. Some of you old dudes, old white dudes usually, are so bent out of shape about, all oh, the whole place going to hell in a handbasket. None of these young people want to work and everybody's lame. Sh shut up. <laughs> I hate it when 60-year-old men are like, yeah, the whole world's going to the crapper. And da -da -da. I'm like, no, I'm raising my kids in this world. We're actually going to try to do something about it. Instead of just you know, moaning into the darkness. Let's actually light a candle. Let's do something. Come on. Just challenging the men, right? Turn off the, the radio for a few minutes and dial into the word of God. And don't be part, don't be, don't be such a good an, uh, analyzer of the problems. Start being part of the solution. You, you want to see our, our civilization change and, and America survive into the next generation? Take your neighbor kid who doesn't have a dad fishing. You, you want to help the moral fabric and stop school shootings and stuff? Don't be all freaked out and mad about somebody taking your guns. Take a kid to Dairy Queen and buy him an ice cream cone and share the love of God. Man, I'm preaching good today, guys. All right, let's go. Don't shout at the darkness. Light a candle. Be a light. Live your faith. What would happen if you made it your personal mission every day to just be a vessel of God's goodness? I'll tell you what would happen. You'd be an irresistible Christian and people would start to come to faith around your life. We forget what life is like without Jesus. It's often hopeless. It's often lonely. It's empty and unsatisfying. And if all the Christians have their lights hidden, if all the Christians have the flashlight off, if there's no light, then the people in the darkness don't know where to go. You should be the happiest person in the city because the God of the universe called you out of darkness into marvelous light and said, you get to be my friend. So what are we doing if we're all just out about in the city and nobody can see the light? We need to live our faith. Let it be on display. And don't underestimate the power of your faith. Listen to this. Did you know your life is full of potential miracles? Every single day when you wake up, you should be like, I don't know what's going to happen today, but God is going to do something incredible. God is willing and able to use your life for tremendous good, tremendous good. I th think about these moments that we get to have with the people that we love. And I, 
even just the last couple of days being with my kids, I joke about wanting to keep them alive and all that, and I do want to keep them alive. But you know what I really treasure is moments to just be there with them and to make an, inf- and to make an impact and influence them for good. And so my, my kids ask me crazy questions about stuff, and I do my best. My wife and I both do, do our best to, to, to share Jesus with them and to share the faith that is within us, the hope of glory, Christ inside of us, to to let that light shine with them. But think about this, those are my kids and I want them to make it. I want them to have a a good life, absolutely. But what about all the people that don't have a good dad? What about all the kids that don't have a mom or a dad? What about all these people that are in quiet desperation? Who's gonna light up their life? And here you are walking around as a miracle yourself and absolutely loaded with potential miracles that God can do with your life. We need to make space in our ordinary life for God to do extraordinary things.